Who's on top? Who's on top? Who's gonna be the cream of the crop? Who's gonna hit the game winner? Mic drop! You don't know, but we just might. If you wanna find out, check us out tonight with Jeremy, Jacob, and Ellis too. Adding Oreo, we have a crew. Woo woo! And welcome back to episode 8 on Who's on Top. Today we'll be discussing superfluous celebrations, a lack of ties, and some hard collisions. No, we're not talking about your local carnival bumper cars, but we're talking about the new and increasingly prevalent XFL. XFL! We will also be talking about some more NBA trades, some reactions from the All-Star Weekend, and predictions for the rest of the season. Finally, we'll be discussing the somber and quite deflating subject of the penalties being enforced on my favorite team, Manchester City. Let's dive right in. Featuring another head-to-head matchup, we have two contestants eager to end up on top today. In the red corner, representing his ties to the Soviet Union, we have the Russian machine, Ellis Gordon. What's up, guys? Uh, in the blue corner, holding an oblong turtle he brought back from the Galapagos Jerry. a long time ago, <laughs> we have Jeremy Giles. Hello. Okay, let's dive right into the XFL. There's a lot of new rule changes that are being implemented to kind of make it unique and different from the NFL. Um, and we wanted to kind of discuss what makes the XFL different and more exciting uh, for some viewers. Ellis, uh, what's your favorite rule change so far? Yeah, so there's been a bunch of rule changes. Some I like, some I dislike. Probably my favorite rule change is the kickoff rule. Out of all the rules in the XFL, the one I think that should be implemented to the NFL, possibly, out of all of them, is the kickoff rule. So the kickoff rule is the kicker stands normal place for football fans. Um, and only difference is on the, the receiving team, Starts off at the 30, and the team trying to tackle starts off at the team's 35, only five yards away from the receiving team. And they're all lined up right across yeah. from each other. and the only way they tackle is when the kick returner receives the ball. And so far, I think it's been really successful, definitely safer. This eliminates kicking out of bounds, so there are touchbacks that start at the 35-yard line. If you kick out of bounds, you start at the 45-yard line. It makes the game more exciting. The kick returners aren't doing statistically so far in the first two weeks amazingly well to show that it's like flawed. No kick return touchbacks yet. It's been pretty much average as the NFL. It's also safer. And overall, I think this is a perfect solution to the NFL's problems with kickoff returns. So that's my favorite rule. My least favorite rule is going to have to be the... um the no extra point and the one, two, three point plays instead. Oh, while it does, while it does vary. This is after a touchdown. Yeah, after a touchdown, of course. Uh, call me a bit of a traditionalist, but I think the extra point with two point conversion is just a better, is just a better format for this. Um, so I think for me, I have kind of two favorite rules. My first favorite rule, which I'll talk about because Ellis said he really didn't like it, is the one, two, and three point rule. Because the big thing about all these rules is at least in my opinion, they're much more for the viewer and making it exciting versus kind of helping the game itself. Like, I think the 1.2-point and 3-point rule with the 1-yard conversion from the 1-yard, 5-yard, and 10-yard makes every touchdown and something after it, which makes it more exciting and more different. Fair point. Especially since with differences in yards so small, I could realistically see a team behind going for 3 points. I think the one downside to that is for many teams that have this rule they might really not like it because it's much less reliable points and like an extra point which you're always getting. One of my other favorite rules has got to be the overtime rule. So this is essentially for two reasons. The first reason is that one is much more exciting. In the NFL, it can simply be a much more defensive game. It could be right where if you score a touchdown outright, you win. It's quick, it's over. I think here, you still get the quick excitement, but it's much more engaging for the viewer, first off, because 
There's simply five. I want to point out, though, that in XFL, ties are relatively rare because of the one, two, three-point extra point rule. That is true. So I think the thing about that is this may not ever happen that much. But when it does, I think it's much better. Also, just because it's much fairer. Because in the NFL with overtime rules, it's so much who gets the coin toss. Yeah, Here, everyone gets five one-play possessions, making it much more even. And if it's still tied after that, unlike the NFL, it doesn't go into a tie, it goes into shootout. One possession for each team, first team not to score, loses. Sudden death, pretty much. Sudden death, yeah. which, is, which resembles slightly an NHL style, which is more exciting for the fan, easier for the player also, and slightly less arbitrary, because it's not... You can, in the NFL, coin toss, you get ball, you do one drive, and you win, and the other team never gets to go on offense. People have complained slightly, but um, yeah, this is a good XFL rule. So, um, with these new rules being implemented, there's been a lot of traction and it's been gaining a lot of momentum, especially because it's just considered a very fun league when contrasted with the pretty serious and kind of doom and gloom NFL. Um, it has a very lighthearted mentality. There's a lot of uh, celebrations going on that have been wildly spread throughout social media. The viewership is kind of less serious, more more about just fun and the game itself. So, personally, what as do you guys a, think about as that? As a television viewership, it's actually week one posted good results. Of course, you have interest bias, so like a lot of people usually tune into week one. Week two, people are, are forecasting not the best, but as of now, they haven't come out yet. I just want to talk about what the XFL has done right and wrong, because this is, you know, this is the third time for a make-off league, not counting arena leagues. Um, so what I thought the AAF, real quick, the AAF did wrong was they actually handled the play situation very well, but they didn't do the finances. What the first XFL under Vince McMahon did wrong was that play situation was awful. Too gimmicky. This XFL with Vince McMahon and Oliver Locke at the helm have actually helped to solve both issues. So what I like about it, uh, I just want to say, is the fans have been incredible. Not the fans who've been watching on TV, but the fans who go to the games. Seattle is packed. Way more viewership fan-wise than the AAF. All the fans' crowds are wildly. This, this was probably the most unexpected thing about the XFL. Such a small but passionate fan base. And, and it's just growing now. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'd say that I really like is the sideline interviews, like Matt McGloin talking about how after playing an awful half thing, how somehow the game plan needs to be changed. I think it adds an aspect of, as Ori was saying, fun. It's, it's more m- lighthearted. It's more engaging to the viewer. There's still big hits, of course, but I think the sideline reporting, like during the game, talking to the players, while I do understand it's a definitely an annoyance for the players, I would, I would definitely see it as annoyance, I think for the viewer itself... It's a lot of fun. It humanizes them. Yeah. Where in the NFL, they're kind of treated like machines. You, yeah, it gives you stories you can root for, and I think it, I, I think that's really cool. Now, what the XFL plagues from is what every new league plays from, other than like the finances, and of course, which they've actually handled relatively well up to this point, is quarterback play. And you've seen two teams come out on top right now who look miles better than the rest, the DC Defenders and the Houston Roughnecks. And why are they the best? Because their quarterbacks have been balling. Cardale Jones, who still isn't lost in his professional career, has been really good. And PJN, who was formerly known as Philip Walker, has been absolutely insane. Actually kind of had a Patrick Mahomes-esque pass. He has been coming out of nowhere a really good player. The problem is the rest of the quarterbacks, Matt McGloin included, Aaron Murray, Silvers, have been hot and cold. And the problem with football as a sport is the product is worse if your team cannot produce a good quarterback. So that the XFL, just like any new league, has to figure out that problem. They definitely have some good players. 
I don't know if it's going to survive, but definitely a brighter future and more chance than the former XFL and the AAF. I actually would like to really push back on you on the quarterback part, because I think, yes, these quarterbacks obviously are not necessarily at the NFL level, but they're also not playing its NFL-level defenders, right? Because I think the big problem with this league, in my opinion, first of all, I think it is kind of known as the fun league, which is good, but simply that it may not last. Like, yeah. right now, it's so new, it's super fun. I think this whole season will be super fun, a thing to do. But the big thing is that what kind of sustains a lot of NFL viewership is you're rooting for people, right? Like, I'm a Jets fan, Alice is a... Giants fan, or is a Detroit Lions fan? They're not really in the NFL. Let's not get okay. Or <laughs> but like the point is that despite how bad our teams have done recently, we're still all very much rooting for them. And I think what the XFL will struggle with is if it cannot get these kind of passionate fans. And I understand it's going for a different market. It's going for partly the market of fun, and I understand that. But, but it's hard to sustain a market of fun. That's it's, hard. To it's it's, it's trying to build constituent. I, I, I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it started off at a better spot it, than the other two leagues. I think it's definitely the most promise of all the leagues. And honestly, as someone who likes football, I enjoy it. I think it'll be fun to watch. I'd consider going to an XFL game at some point. So I hope it and survives. They're cheap, and they're cheap, which is I'd nice. just And I think it'll survive a year or two. I guess I'd just be worried, too, with long-term, if it doesn't get a lot of viewership, will really be able to attract the talent it needs to survive. Yeah. So I guess I hope it succeeds, and I think it could I guess I'm a little bit pessimistic about the future. Uh, okay, to be incredible. Pessimistic or skeptical? Skeptical. Uh, skeptical. Yeah, I'm skeptical. not pessimistic. Skeptical. Yeah. Okay, after some uh, XFL analysis, we're going to move on to reactions from the NBA All-Star Game. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think of it? So I think I actually thought this All-Star Game was a lot better than the past few All-Star Games. I know that, I think, honestly, it was a lot because of Kobe. I think with so much emotion coming out just because of how recently he passed and because it was dedicated to him. And these players, right, Kobe was all of their idols at some point, someone he looked up to. So I think that really kind of set the tone of the game and ended up making it much more exciting, much more about basketball, about the players, about the NBA culture, and just a better all-star game. Yeah, the rule changes were good. One, going topic real quick, I wouldn't, like Embiid said, I wouldn't want to win on a free throw. It, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of anticlimactic, but I thought overall it was a really good All-Star game, good rule changes for Kobe. And now on to the um, to the slam dunk contest. Controversial, Derrick Jones Jr. won. Aaron Gordon didn't win despite his dunk over Taco Fall. Who is 7-5. We took a poll on Instagram to see who we thought should win, and it came out resoundingly. Aaron Gordon got 92% of the vote saying to win. Our Instagram, podcast one W-O-T. Podcast I mean, one, follow it. He dunked. But, yeah, so people really think that Aaron Gordon, for a second time in a row, was kind of chipped of the dunk contest title. What do you think, Jeremy? I mean, he dunked over Taco Falls, right? Like, Derek Jones' dunk was good. It was reminiscent of a bootleg version of Michael Jordan's famous dunk from the free throw line. But Aaron Gordon dunked over a 7-5 person. You don't lose when you dunk over a 7-5 person. Yeah. Except in this reality, you do. I have to agree. Overall, the dunk contest was great. Pat Connington had a really good dunk, but overall, Derrick Jones Jr. and Aaron Howard Gordon, paid tribute to Kobe Bryant, yeah. which was very tasteful. Overall, it was both of those players were amazing. I actually think Derrick Jones Jr. probably should have won it beforehand. That said, in overtime, Aaron Gordon's dunk was so much better. How do you not get a 50 for dunking over Taco Fall? I mean, in general, this whole weekend was very close in a lot of regards. Uh, a little bit controversial in regards to the free throw and the dunk competition, but it was a very exciting All-Star Weekend, which has been a nice uh, break from trends. NBA All-Star Weekend is the only, in my opinion, All-Star Weekend that does it right. Because, look, 
we're talking about it. Do we talk about any other sports All Star Weekend? No, we didn't. Pro even, Bowl is kind we didn't of cover dead. the Pro NBA All Star Game. We've been doing this podcast dead. and we didn't. It's not dead. We just not pulling it's cover. Not really. it. With the NFL, the skills challenges are very interesting, but the NBA All Star Game was the only one that really has one skills that two specific skills and three pointed dunk contests that people tune into in really a real game that players play in. Moving on from the All-Star Weekend, we're going to stick with the NBA. Uh, we're going to talk about a few trades that kind of occurred. <laughs> Unfortunately, Pistons got even worse by giving up one of the best centers in the league. Andre Drummond, not happy again. It's just it's just sad what goes on in Detroit. <laughs> uh, perpetual uh, perpetual moribund, yes. That was a very important trade. Else, you want to take one more? So overall, in the we're in this home stretch of the NBA before the playoffs. A lot, a lot of bench trades. A couple notable trades you got, as our friend Jeremy here predicted. Timberwolves landed landed D'Lo. Uh, Cavaliers for some reason landed Andre Drummond. Maybe trade. We'll see. The Clippers landed Marcus Morris, and the Heat landed Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder. There's of course other trades for bench players, but those are probably the most notable. Timberwolves are looking, in my opinion, they're looking for a D'Lo Cat and Devin Booker combo to see if they'll be one of the best teams. Uh, and the Warriors got Andrew Wiggins for the D'Lo trade, so, and a bunch of other small pieces. Overall, as NBA landscape goes, these trades don't really reshape the NBA landscape crazy amount for right now, in the Pistons future. Pistons and Cavs are both I, still on the bottom. Yeah, in, yeah. The, in the future, this might, especially the D'Lo trade, go up. The Clippers got some scoring in Marcus Morris, good pickup. Um, the Heat got some like, more depth. Uh, they're going to be a good team in the playoffs, I just don't think they're going to go all the way regardless. Hey, Ellis, what the Pistons get? Uh, the Pistons. Uh, nothing. Got, yeah. The answer is nothing. John Henson, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think I might actually say something. I agree this is more for the future, but I actually think the future might come quicker than you think because I think the D low trade will have an effect on next year with the Golden State Warriors. I agree. Because D'Angelo Russell, while a great player, did not really fit the Warriors' mold, who's never really kind of part of the team in the yeah. same way that. Clay was, or even KD after he left, I'd argue was, and obviously Steph is. So I think Wiggins gives them another good player that has a chance to really mold and fit into this Plus team. a top-end draft pick. They're going to be good next year. So I think this was really a good trade from the Timberwolves yeah. and Warriors for both teams. And for the Warriors, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them making a big push again next year. Overall, good trade deadline. Now let's move on to some NBA games. We'll be covering the Saturday and Sunday games. First game up, 76ers Bucks. Again, battle of two big men, Joel Embiid, Giannis, on Tedekumpo. I think at the moment, I'd have to go with the Bucks just because I think Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are still working through a little bit. They're more functional probably than they were a few weeks ago, simply because you can't really get much worse than that. But I think at this point, I'd have to go with Giannis. And they've had a rebound since we last talked about them. The Sixers. They beat, yeah, the 76ers. They beat the Clippers. That said... The Bucks are the best team this year in the NBA. The Bucks record is 46 and 8. That's obviously the first seed. I have to go with Bucks here as well as Jeremy. Listen, Arden Kubo is averaging 30 points a game on 50, 4.9% field goal percentage, 13.5 rebounds a game, 5.8 assists. Currently your MVP front runner. We'll see if that changes. It's a relatively close race. But really hard to vote against the Bucks when they're just they're amazing. And while I do think at some point you could see the Bucks really suffering from not having a co-star for someone like Giannis at this present moment. I think Chris Middleton serves well enough as a co-star, but and yeah. And at this present moment, there's no way you can pick against the Bucks. The next game is Timberwolves Nuggets. 
obviously D'Lo back on the team. Nuggets we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Player of the month last month was Nikola Jokic, one of the most talented and quite clumsy and maldroid centers in the league, but always so exciting to watch. Yeah, we talked about the Nuggets already a lot on this podcast. There's a reason for that. And they're, they're, yeah. they're not good. only do they have a fun name, but <laughs> they're, they're also really, really good at playing team basketball. That said, I am going Timberwolves here. Listen, the Timberwolves just got D'Lone. Cat, usually there's an air of like optimism around there. They're Cat like, being Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns, yeah. They're their center, yeah. one of the best centers in the league, in my opinion. Shoots from three. I think he's going to be one of the best centers, obviously. He, I think he is one of the best centers in the league, top five. And he's only going to improve. But listen, Nuggets, great team, but I have the Timberwolves in this one with the new addition of D'Lo. Honestly, I really do not have that much to add. I was essentially going to say the same thing as Ellis here. It, I think that just at this point, they really have a lot of optimism in the Timberwolves building, are really positive. They just got D'Lo. They think they can beat the world. Probably can't, and I do not think they'll go far in the playoffs. But at this moment, they're going to do win this game. I think Joker and Nikola Jokic is still one of the most talented, and he'll find a way to win this. Uh, it's just he's he's too good, um, and his outside perimeter players, Jamal Murray, are simply too good to lose to a team like the Timberwolves. Now moving on to one of the most historic uh, rivalries in, uh, in sports itself, but especially in, inside the NBA, we have the Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. Obviously one of the best teams in the East going up against probably one of the best teams in the West. This rivalry kind of dimmed down during the time, but now it's just reignited again with the return of LeBron to um, Los Angeles. And especially now, this means a little bit more with uh, Kobe passing away. So, um, who do you have in this game, Ellis? Uh, I have the Celtics. They have a more rounded team. Kemba Walker finally beat his his rival LeBron, who who had beat him 28 games prior. Straight? Uh, yeah, straight, wow. which, is almost, which is almost a record of 30, but not quite. I think the Celtics are still a bit more well-rounded team. Anthony Davis, obviously LeBron can show up any night and kill every team, but I, I just got a feeling on this one with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown rested Celtics. I think for me, this year as a general rule, unless it's the Clippers or the Bucks, I'm going to try not to pick against the Lakers. Simply with the combination of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I think they're very hard to stop, and it's very unpredictable the days that they will be stopped. Although, obviously, it's an A2 game. They could lose. I don't think it's this one. All right, now we're going to move on to um, the returning champions and uh, pretty hot start Pacers. We're going to have Pacers-Raptors going on. Raptors have been incredibly good for a team that has lost Kawhi Leonard. They've just been so consistently 15 good. 15-1 in their last 16 it's games. It's been ridiculous considering they lost the best player in the NBA, uh, debatably. So it's it's just been amazing to see them kind of form their own identity without Kawhi Leonard. Ellis, what do you see in this one? If I was a Knicks fan, I would be a Pacers fan. I love Malcolm Brogdon, love DeMontis Sabonis. Raptors, though, have been 15-1, and one, as I just said, in the last 16 games. I'm actually going to go Pacers here. Malcolm Brogdon is really good. Old Depot's just every day getting stronger and healthier. It's an interesting matchup with him and uh, yeah. Kyle Lowry there. Yeah. I actually think Kyle Lowry and the Raptors will win this game simply because, to me, the Raptors are very much a regular season darling team, a team that can be very good in the regular season where effort's very important, plays very good team basketball. However, the thing about the Raptors is I don't think they have the power and star power to make it in the postseason, but this is not the postseason. This is regular season. I think the Raptors come away with this one. Okay, now we're going to move on to quite a sore subject. My team, Manchester City, has been... uh, 
<laughs> banned from the Champions League for two years because um, of using illegal funds uh, to some extent. Uh, it's quite painful to talk about. So, Ellis, you want to take this one away? Yeah, it's it's pretty disgraceful what Man City did. Regardless. Hey, be nice. I, okay, so I know a lot of teams do it, and everyone really point out that a lot of teams do it. Let's be honest, Man City were kind of just the dumb team that got caught. That said, when you spend five hundred million in one summer, um, you're going to get you're going to get investigated. They scouted people wrong. They bought youth players too much. It's I think it's a uh, as more I think as obviously we don't know all the details yet. Uh, FIFA has been relatively covering it up a little bit, not the details, but slowly releasing them. I think though by the end of the day we're going to get this a fair punishment, and I think FIFA really needs to step up because as a traditionally corrupt organization and punish more teams. More teams like this, I mean, they're, they're really taking a stand here. Good for them. Sucks for Man City's fans. Honestly, sucks for Pep Guardiola, who I don't, I don't think necessarily was involved in this. I mean, remember, fully. this is not taking them out of the Champions League this year. This year, Just yes, in the future. Started. In the next two years, future-wise, it's going to hurt their transfer prospects. And not a good time for Man City and fans. I might also add cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's sponsorship, yeah. Though they have, they have unlimited money pretty much with Arrow. So, well, I think, first of all, what it says, Man City... Broke the cardinal rule. If you're gonna cheat, don't get caught. Yes. No, I don't condone cheating even if you do get caught. No, but all last aside, I think the big thing here is Man City kind of being used as the example for the Premier League and for soccer as a whole. Yeah, to saying FIFA's Sim- like, we're done being pushed over. Simply because, as you've said it yourself, many teams have been using this method, right? Many teams have probably done this even if they have not gotten caught. But I think this essentially is what to say. Okay, we're serious about this. If you cheat, there's going to be consequences. Please play fair. Please play by the rule. I know and it's an unpopular good. opinion, but uh, I still believe Man City did not do anything wrong. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, they got caught. You can't. Uh, they definitely said wrong. I, of I, don't, I don't see them getting caught. Wait. I think they're uh, they're completely clean and or, all fines oh should be god. removed. Look, there's no like that's a good opinion. Or either they probably or he has a point in the fact that they probably will appeal, and usually these appeals do help a little bit. They might. We might, might get, get a year reduced off. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so we'll see. Even with their year reduced off, there's still hundreds of millions of and dollars. And if we cheated in the still... first place, we might be able to cheat <laughs> to cheat to get our sentence removed. Or you're, you're, not that they cheated, condoning mind. cheating. Or it's right. not, not condoning. condoning cheating, but we just came off of a win off of West Ham, and I feel another win coming, kind of removing ourselves from that cheating scandal. I don't know who's even involved. Neither do I. We're going to be oh talking God, about right. Chelsea and Tottenham, uh, another great Premier League matchup. This is the English League again. Two teams, traditionally good. This year, not doing so hot. Again, everyone's not doing so hot when compared to Liverpool. Um, Ellis, who do you see winning in this matchup? Uh, I have a Tottenham 2-0, and this is primarily, honestly, based on injuries. Chelsea just lost to Man United. Go United, 2-0. Good game. Slightly controversial ref decisions. I don't think that controversial. Um, But, yeah, so Chelsea are out in a goal. Conte got injured in the Man United game. Probably out Tammy Abraham. Those are two big pieces. I don't think they overcome that. Tottenham are healthier, and therefore both two teams are good. Tottenham are hotter and healthier, to be honest, and Tottenham went 2 nothing. I actually say Chelsea. I think I know there's been injuries, but I still think Chelsea is probably the better team, and simply, honestly, that's kind of what it comes down to to me. I say 2-1 Chelsea. They're definitely a more fluid team than Mourinho's Tottenham, who is really nice. I know we mention it every week, but remember, Chelsea does have uh, the one relevant American in soccer, Christian Christian Pulisic! Again, not much to say about... Predicted goal from him this week. Why not? Um, He's still the most talented American in soccer, and we're going to keep on shouting him out uh, until he wins the Ballon d'Or, which is the best uh, award in soccer. Now we're going to introduce our Wacky Sport of the Week. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. 
Extreme Ironing. Bum, bum, bum. So Extreme Ironing is a very engaging sport. I personally love to watch it. Uh, in my free time, Jeremy, I, you told me that last time uh, you went to South Africa, you uh, you actually engaged in extreme ironing on the savannah. Can we get a recording of that? All right, let's get the recording on. And Ellis, uh, when you went to Vermont, you have a recording of you skiing and doing it yep. at the same time. All right, let's put it on. Oh, the iron slipped. <laughs> and uh, I did it skydiving uh, when I was in Arizona. Here we have a recording. Ah, pass me the iron! <laughs> um, so, Jeremy, what is extreme ironing? Well, ironing is basically where you take an iron and you iron something during extreme sport. This could be skiing, snowboarding, skydiving. And even um, on the savannah, like you were. And even on the Don't savannah, running from an elephant. Don't like try this at home, as ironing is a very dangerous activity. Actually, you know what? Try it at home. See what happens. We're not responsible, but I think it could be very interesting. If you have any interesting clips, please send it to us. Tell us how you like Jeremy as our new host of our Wacky Sport of the Week. Personally, I think I was better. I, I think Jeremy did a great job. I think I did an amazing job. Some, some discontent among the, uh, the ranks here, but it's okay. We're very content. Okay, now we're going to move on to our weekly reminder of betting advice. Ellis, would you like to remind our listeners what's up? All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you're betting a lot of money, let's make it $2 Let's million. make it $6 million. $6 million. We're just going up and up. Our viewers are getting richer and richer. Our viewers are going into 1%. Well then, if you're going to bet that much money on us, good for you. We're glad you trust us. But don't trust us that much. Because that's a lot of money, and if you lose it, you're losing it. We are not unless, liable. Unless you're Elon Musk. We're not yeah, liable. In that case, Mr. Musk, if you're listening to our podcast, please consider donating money and a Tesla. Uh, we'd be happy to show some extreme sports and extreme ironing being done in the Tesla. And we'd like to remind everyone, we are experts, but we don't recommend you take our advice. Hope you enjoyed. Have a nice weekend. Next week, we have another podcast out with some special guests and some with some MOB. And NFL predictions. Goodbye. Goodbye.